Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is from our Conquest and Defeat series, which walks through the book of 2 Samuel, discovering life's journey of grace, mercy, and faith. We hope this message will be an encouragement to you, and we'd love to hear how God used it in your life. 2 Samuel chapter 9 tonight. And we're going to do something a little bit different in uh, just a few minutes in the fact that we're not going to stand and read and, and we're not going to just start with one verse. We're going to kind of read the, read the whole chapter together in a minute and, uh, and kind of work our way through it and, uh, and then give some application and some thoughts that I think will be a help to us tonight. As you come to 2 Samuel chapter 9, we've been out of our series for a couple of weeks, so let's just kind of uh, get a brief recap of what's taken place. We know that David, of course, he was anointed king in the book of 1 Samuel, but for years, David was not actually put upon the throne. He didn't assume the throne. As you come to 1 Samuel or 2 Samuel chapter number one, David finally assumes the throne of the southern kingdom, Judah, but he doesn't actually become king of all of Israel until about uh, 2 Samuel chapter six and seven, right in there. And then we discover that after David becomes king, Really what we looked at the last few messages is David saying, I'm going to establish the kingdom like God wants me to. I'm not going to lead the kingdom the way Saul led it. I'm not going to lead it the way uh, the, the judges led it. No, at this time in David's life, he's set on saying, I'm going to lead people the way God has asked me to. How does he do that? Well, he does it in a number of ways. Number one, he moves the capital city to Jerusalem. Remember, up until David took Jerusalem from the Jebusites, uh, Jerusalem was never in the control of God's people, and God always wanted it to be. So David said, I'm going to make this our capital city. And then David said, not only do we want this to be our capital city, but we want God's presence to be here. And so they go and they get the ark, the ark of the covenant, which would represent the presence of God. David says, we're going to bring that into uh, the capital city. And of course, he had this, uh, this mindset of how it should happen, but God said, that's not the way it's going to happen. And you remember, we went through that entire story where uh, God ended up killing a man because they brought the, the, the Ark of the Covenant in incorrectly and all of that. But then David just understood. He understood, I've got to do things the way God wants me to. And so David then began to purpose in his heart to do some things for God. One of the things that David was going to do was not only bring the Ark of the Covenant in, which they did with great rejoicing and with great worship, But then David said, you know, I'm going to build God a temple. I'm going to build you a temple. And God came to David and said, no, David, it's not about a temple. David, I'm actually going to build you a house. And he wasn't talking about a physical house, but he promised David that what we call the Davidic covenant, that the Messiah would come through the line of David. And David, in humility, bows before the Lord and says, God, who am I? Who am I that you would do this? Who am I that you would do something so great for me? And then in chapter number eight, where we were at a couple of weeks ago, David, again, wanting to lead the way God would have him to, he begins to destroy and dispel the enemies of God. Remember, up until this point, 
many of the, the leaders, not only Saul, but many of the judges before, God had said, I want you to go into the promised land and I want you to, to eliminate the enemy. Many of them had just cohabited, cohabitated with the, with the enemy. They just, they just lived in the same area and allowed the Philistines and the Ammonites and the Amorites and all of the, the, the Girgashites and all the ites. They allowed all of them just to live there and, and dwell among them. And David came in and said, no, that's not what we're going to do. You're going to move or you're going to die because God said, this is our land. And David was just, up until this point, David is just leading and saying, I'm going to lead the way God would have me to. Well, when we come to 2 Samuel chapter number 9, as we come to our time in the Word of God tonight, before we really get into the passage, I just want to ask you if you can remember when you were little, some of you that's a few years ago, other of you it's a few more years ago. But can you remember when you were little and you got to move from the kid table to the grown-up table? Do you remember that? Some of you are like, no, that's too far ago. That's okay. That's all right. I remember years ago being able to move from the the kid table to the grown-up table, and now I'm watching my kids want to move from the kid table to the grown-up table. I remember years with uh, with dad, of course, being in ministry and pastoring. Uh, I think I grew up in restaurants. Uh, I grew up, he would take people out to eat all the time. We'd go out after services, and I can tell you many a nights falling asleep on the benches of of uh, Village Inn in Greeley, Colorado, or Western Sizzlin, or Golden Corral, or uh, um, Denny's, or JB's, you know, all these restaurants, I could just keep naming them, of dad saying, hey, we're going to take people out tonight and spending time with people. But you know what? Growing up, I w- it was always, there's the adult table, the grown-up table, and then me, and usually many of you know Daniel Blim, me and Dan would be at our own table, which they did that till we were like 25. But anyway... Uh, you know what? There would be a time when I, when I probably about 14 and 15, and when there, when there was room, my dad would say, hey, why don't you come sit with us? Hey, why don't you guys come sit at the grown-up table? I remember being 15 and 16 and being able to sit at the grown-up table at the, at the family functions. Now I'm not just having to entertain the little kids. Now I get to sit at the grown-up table. And you remember what that felt like? Man, it's so cool. It's a cool thing because you're now, I mean, I'm not grown up, but I get to be here. I don't, I don't deserve to be here. I, don't, I haven't earned the respect of everybody that's here. I, I don't have anything to add to the conversation, but I get a place at the table. Tonight, we're going to go to 2 Samuel chapter number nine, and we're going to look at a man who did not deserve to receive what he was given. A man who did not earn what he was given. He was given a place at the table, a place at David's table, at the king's table. And tonight we're going to, uh, with, this, with the, the help of the Holy Spirit tonight, just dive into this chapter, see what God did through David in the life of a man named Mephibosheth and how it connects with us. I think, I think tonight will be a big encouragement. Remind us of how much God loves us. Remind us of the simple fact that even though, and I'll just lay it out right at the beginning, even though we don't deserve, even though we can't earn, even though we have nothing to offer, God says, I give you a place at my table. And tonight we're gonna see that. So let's pray. 
and then we'll get into the Word of God tonight. Lord, I want to come before you, and I want to pray that you'd help us. I want to pray, God, that as we go through the Word, that you would challenge us and that you would help us to hear from you. I pray that you'd help us to see the connections tonight, and Lord, that we would not um, simply just listen, but Lord, that we would give your Word and your Spirit attention. I love you, Lord. And I humble my mind and heart before you tonight, asking that you would speak to me and use me to help your people tonight. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Second Samuel chapter 9. Here's what we're going to do. We're just going to start in verse number 1, and I just want to talk through it with you. The verses won't be on the screen because we're going to be stopping and kind of stop and go as we go through this. Second Samuel chapter number 9, it says this, And David... David said, is there yet any man that is left of the house of Saul? Is there any man that's left that's of the house of Saul? Here's David in 2 Samuel chapter number 9. Remember, he's king. Remember, now his house has built. He's beginning to gather materials to build the house of the Lord. And, and really, David has a lot of things going. And yet, what we find David doing is searching, looking for somebody who would be related to King Saul. Now, you remember who Saul was, Saul, the first king of Israel, Saul, that one who, uh, he was God's chosen man. Saul was one that he started out in humility, but down the line, just about three years into Saul's kingship, Saul just began to be filled with pride. And Saul, because of his, because of his own pride, chose to walk his way instead of God's way. And, and because of that, Saul was one that uh, David was going to be anointed to be king, but Saul began to uh, persecute and chase after David. And literally for, for 13 years, Saul was that one who pursued David day in and day out, didn't give a, didn't give, give a care about the kingdom. Instead, it was all about his pride. And yet here David is, years later, seeking someone from the family. Now, many of you know the story, so don't jump ahead yet in your mind, but let's place ourselves in the mind of the servants of David at the time he's asking. Hey, is there someone from Saul's family still alive? If you're there and you're a servant, you're thinking, David's going to kill him. David's going, to wipe, David's going to wipe him off the face of the earth because that's the family and that, that's, that was the custom that you would do at the time. And yet, notice what David says. Verse number one, notice what David says. It says, David said, is there yet any that is left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? That word kindness there, we would use maybe the word grace, that I would show grace unto him. Here we find David pursuing after somebody from Saul's family. And the whole reason is because he wants to show them grace. He wants to show them kindness. But not because of them and not even because of Saul. Notice what it says in verse one. I want to do it for Jonathan's sake. I want to do it for Jonathan's sake. Notice verse two. <clears throat> It says, there was of the house of Saul a servant whose name was Ziba or Ziba. 
And when they had called unto him, or that when they had called him unto David, the king said unto him, Art thou Ziba? And he said, Thy servant is he. All right. Now we found somebody that, that is uh, probably a little more keen in the situation, might know someone from the house of Saul. But David says, listen, I'm asking you now. So now David is proactively searching. It's not just asking one or two servants. David is finding somebody who's going to know the answer. He is pursuing Mephibosheth. He's pursuing this son of Jonathan that we'll meet in just a minute, verse 3. And the king said, Is there not yet any of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God unto him? Now it's a step further. You see, verse one and two, is there somebody from the house of Saul that I can show kindness unto them for Jonathan's sake? Verse three, is there somebody from the house of Saul that I could show the kindness of God to them? That I could show the grace of God to them? I love the progression here. Verse number three, the last part, Ziba answers and said unto the king, Jonathan hath yet a son, which is lame on his feet. And the king said unto him, Ziba, where is he? And Ziba said unto the king, behold, he is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, in Lodibar. The word Lodibar, the word lo means no. The phrase debar, it means word or thing, no thing. He is from the town of nothing. That's what the interpretation would be. He's from the town of, of nowhere. So here you have this, now think about it tonight. You have this heir to Saul. Saul, who was once the king, but because of his pride, Saul lost the kingdom. You have an heir now who's only two generations removed and he's a nobody living in nowhere. He's a nobody living in a town of nothing. You've heard people often say, well, where are you from? Oh, a place, you know, just I'm really, uh, it's not big. I'm, I'm, it's from nowhere. Maybe, you, maybe you've, you've never heard of it. Well, you've, people had heard of Lodibar simply because it was the town of nothing. And yet here's this young man, a nobody from nowhere, and watch what happens, verse number five. Then King David sent and fetched him out of the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, from Lodibar. Now when Mephibosheth, the son of, Saul, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, was coming to David, he fell on his face And he did reverence. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, behold, thy servant. Mephibosheth comes in and he bows before him. There's humility. There's submission before King David. There's, There's some fear that we'll see in just a second. But there's reverence. I'm respecting you and respecting what you're doing. But really, Mephibosheth, up until this point, I mean, he's coming to the presence of the king. He's the only family living from Saul at this point that we know of. And you can imagine, he's thinking, I'm going to die. I mean, that would be the custom of the day that the family of the, that, that's why he's probably living in Lodabar. He's, he wants to keep a, maintain a low status. He doesn't want anybody to know who he is. And yet here he is before the king. And notice what David says to him in verse number seven. David said unto him, Fear not, 
Hey, we know, we know Mephibosheth was afraid. Why? Because David had to tell him, hey, fear not. For because I will surely show thee kindness or grace for Jonathan thy father's sake and will restore thee all the land of Saul thy father and thou shalt eat bread at my table continually. Hey, Mephibosheth, don't be afraid because I will show you kindness because of your father, Jonathan. Hey, Mephibosheth, I'm going to be kind to you. I'm going to give you grace, not because of you, not because you deserve it, but because of Jonathan's sake. And not only am I going to show you kindness, I'm going to, I'm going to give you a place at my table. I'm going to give you a place at my table. Now, uh, at this time, at this time, a, a place at the king's table was a big deal. A place at the king's table was a big deal. We're going to see in just a second that David was essentially inviting and welcoming Mephibosheth into his family. Notice, notice how it continues, verse number eight. And he, Mephibosheth, bowed himself and he said, what is thy servant that thou shouldest look upon such a dead dog as I am? And you think about it. He says, how, how in the world are you? Why are you doing this to me? I'm like a dead dog. At, the, at that time, uh, culturally, dogs were looked down upon. They were, the, they were the, the vagrant animal that just ate the scraps of the street. And nobody, people didn't have a bunch of dogs as, as pets and different things like that. They didn't want them. And so Mephibosheth compares himself to a dead dog. He says, I'm, I'm like a dead dog in your sight. A living dog was bad enough, but a dead dog was even worse. Nobody wanted, nobody wanted anything to do with dogs. And so here's Mephibosheth comparing himself with this dog, and he is bowing before the king. You see, Mephibosheth understood this, and, and catch these little concepts. We'll tie it all together in just a minute. But Mephibosheth understood, I can do nothing for you, David. I can offer you nothing. I am a, I, I'm like a vagabond in the street. David, I am just a beggar. David, I literally am scum of the earth, and yet you are inviting me into your family. David, how good are you being to me? Why? Why are you doing this? Notice the rest of the chapter. Then the king called to Ziba, Saul's servant, and said unto him, I have given unto thy master's son all that pertain to Saul and to all his house. Thou therefore and thy sons and thy servants shall till the land for him and thou shalt bring in the fruits and that thy master's son may have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, thy master's son, he shall eat bread always at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. And then said Ziba unto the king, according to all that my Lord the king hath commanded his servants, so shall thy servant do. As for Mephibosheth, said the king, Notice what it says. He shall eat at my table as one of the king's, what's the word? Sons. Hey, I'm welcoming him, welcoming him into my family. So Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all that dwelt in the house of Ziba were servants unto Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he did eat continually at the king's table and was lame on both his feet. <clears throat> Man, what an incredible story. What an incredible story. 
an undeserving, lame Mephibosheth, a, a nobody, a nobody from nowhere receiving an invitation to be part of the king's table, king's family. Maybe you can look back and you've had times when you were invited to something that you saw as being uh, out, of your, out of your class, out of your league, so to speak. I remember a number of years ago, <clears throat> God opened the door, and many of you know about it, but God opened the door uh, with us and, and politically being able to meet Congress and different things like that. And uh, a few years ago, God invited to pray uh, for our Congress in, D- in Washington, D.C., and I remember that opportunity, and many of you prayed for us during that time. And what a, it was a crazy time. But I remember getting there, and man, I had, I had a parking spot. I remember they told me where to go, and I, you, you don't normally get a parking spot right in the you know, capital. And yet here I am going there, and they told me which guard shack to go through. And I went to the guard shack, and I pulled out my ID, and they looked. And sure enough, there's Dennis Fountain. I'm on the, I'm on the registry that I can pass through. And so they let me in, and I go into this uh, private parking lot that I, I get a spot. And then I roll up to this spot, Hannah and I go there, and we get out. And they had told us which side entrance to go to. And so I go to a side entrance, and we're passing all these security officers and all these police officers. And they're just kind of waving us in, checking our ID as we go. And, and now we're, we're inside the Capitol, which where most people can go. But now we're being escorted to places that the general public doesn't go. And I, we go in, and we meet with, <coughs> with the congressman. And his aide, and they say, all right, we're going to walk over to the, we're going to walk over to the, uh, the chamber. We'll walk over to the, to the house chamber. We're going to go over there, and that's where you're going to pray. And I remember going and walking. They said, but first, we're going to make a stop. We're going to stop, stop at the speaker's office, the speaker of the house. At the time, it was John Boehner, and I, I remember walking in and, and meeting him and having a conversation with him and, and being able to just stand there and talk with him for a few minutes and then getting a picture, of course. And I just remember going through that whole day and then uh, we prayed at Congress and then afterwards, they're like, would you guys like to see the, the private offices where the public don't go? And I'm like, yes, I wanna see everything. And we go in and we're looking and we're seeing, I mean, we get a beautiful view of the, of the mall, the National Mall and all, everything there. Man, you know what, that day, I thought that I was important. I was like, man, this is so cool. Man, like, this is so awesome. We're here. I mean, I, and you know, from then, we've had times of being invited in, uh, uh, to the vice president's Bible study, and he didn't show up, which I wish he would have. But uh, you go into those different things. You know what? At those times, I knew, like, this is out of my element. I didn't know if you knew this, but I never plan on running for public office. So that's out of my element. I'm not, I'm not planning on being president or vice president or something like that. And so I'm, I'm in these offices and I'm going, man, this is somewhere that I don't, I don't deserve to be here. This is incredible. Can you imagine how, I mean, that, that's just me being invited to pray before Congress. Can you imagine how Mephibosheth felt to be invited to sit, to be adopted into the family of the king? Man, I think when we read in verse number six that he fell on his face and did reverence, I, I know that some of that is what was in fear, but verse number eight, when he says, what is thy servant that thou shouldest look upon such a dead dog as I am? I think, I think Mephibosheth was just completely humble. He was humbled by the fact that the king 
The king of the known world at that time was inviting him to the table. Let me say tonight, if you've been in, <clears throat> in church for any length of time, you've probably heard the story of David and Mephibosheth. And you've probably know that this story is an incredible picture of us and God. I want you to imagine with me just some pictures about it real quick. David, the king, pictured as, as God the king. Jonathan, pictured as Jesus Christ. Mephibosheth, that's me and you. The king showed love to Mephibosheth for Jonathan's sake. In our story, the king shows love to me and you for Jesus' sake. It has nothing to do with you. It has nothing to do with me. I have nothing to offer. I have nothing to bring to the table. I have no way to stand before King Jehovah and offer anything. And yet he, because of Jesus, says you, you can have a seat at my table. Here's what I want to do tonight for the next few minutes. I want to show us five simple lessons. They're very simple. Five simple lessons that we can learn about God's love for us from the story of Mephibosheth. I want you to notice, first of all, tonight that God's love searches for us. God's love searches for us. God, in his love, pursues you. In the story, we know that Mephibosheth was in Lodibar and David sought after Mephibosheth. He diligently searched for Mephibosheth. David did nothing in search for David, or excuse me, Mephibosheth did nothing in search for David. It was David proactively searching and pursuing Mephibosheth. Why? Mephibosheth could offer David nothing in return. He didn't, he didn't even know that the king would, that the king would want him there. And yet David pursued Mephibosheth. Can I say tonight that when you and I are born into this world, God starts a pursuit on your heart. Every, listen, every single person, every single human being is pursued by God. It's not a select chosen few. It is every single person is pursued by God. Here's how Jesus Christ himself said it in Luke 19, verse number 10. He said, for the Son of Man has come to seek. That means to look out, to search for, to pursue out, and to save that which was lost. You know, when it says that which was lost, it's talking about me and you. We're the lost ones. All of mankind is, mankind is lost. And God, in his love, he searches for you. You know, there's a great application to that that I just want to apply very quickly tonight. And that's that God not only searches for you, but God wants to search through you to other people. You see, there's lost people all around us. There's lost people that you work with and live around, and there's lost people in your family, and God wants to pursue them through your testimony. God doesn't want to just pursue them through the, the work of the Holy Spirit. Although he does that, God pursues the lost through the saved. 
God pursues the lost through those who do know Christ. And so don't ever just have this mindset of, well, you know, that's the Holy Spirit's work to reach people. No, 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 no. God uses the Holy Spirit through me and you to help people understand their lostness and come to know Christ. And so just remember and recognize tonight, this first concept about God's love is the fact that God's love, it searches for us. And not only for us, it searches for all the lost. Point number two, we're cruising along tonight. We're already at point two. God's love for us is based solely upon his son. God's love for us is based solely upon his son. We've already looked a little bit at it, but Mephibosheth, he was lame. He was destined to be a beggar for the rest of his life. He was probably ashamed of his heritage. I mean, after all, his grandfather had tried to kill the now king multiple times. Mephibosheth, I mean, it would appear from the passage in verse number four that he's not even living on his own. He, he, can't, he can't sustain himself. He probably is totally dependent upon other people. There's no other family around. Mephibosheth was one that truly, he was lame on his feet and he had nothing to offer the king. He, he had nothing to give back in return. And yet what we discover, the sole reason why David was good to Mephibosheth was completely because of Jonathan's sake. It was completely because of of Jonathan, Mephibosheth's father. I mean, the reason David blessed Mephibosheth and showed kindness to Mephibosheth and showed grace to Mephibosheth, the reason the invitation was given to Mephibosheth was all because of Jonathan. And the truth is tonight that you and I, when we're born in this world, we have nothing to offer to God. We have nothing. We are are lame in our soul, (laughs) We are, we are sick in our soul. We are nobodies from nowhere, and yet God offers us love. And the entire reason that God offers us love is not based upon me or you, but it's based upon his son. It was all the entire reason that God offers you and me love is completely because of Jesus and because of his work on the cross. Here's how Paul said it in Ephesians chapter four, we're challenging the church at Ephesus to be kind and forgive. He says, and be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Notice, even as God, for Christ's sake. That phrase means because of Jesus. Even as God, because of Jesus, hath forgiven you. You see, it was for Christ's sake that you and I are offered anything from God. What do I see when I look at the story of Mephibosheth? I see a beautiful picture of God loving us. God in his love searches for us. God in his, in his love, excuse me, God's love for us is based solely upon his son. But thirdly tonight, God's love for us deserves love in return. God's love for us deserves love in return. You know, David... <clears throat> He didn't have to reach out to Mephibosheth and love him. I mean, after all, Saul had been trying to kill David for years. No one knew how close Jonathan and David were. So, I mean, really, David could have just said, meh, oh, well, eh, forget it. Forget Jonathan's family. Forget Saul. I mean, after all, he tried to kill me. But because of Jonathan, David loves Mephibosheth. And when Mephibosheth comes in, I think Mephibosheth got it. I think he understood, I don't deserve this. And so I come in and I show submission and I show humility 
and I show reverence. And I believe that for the rest of Mephibosheth's life, Mephibosheth understood, I don't deserve the love that the king gave me, and so I just want to love the king in return. There's a good picture of this later on in 2 Samuel chapter number 19. David had been running from Absalom, his son. Ziba, the servant, came to David and lied about Mephibosheth and made it seem like Mephibosheth was being a traitor against David. Things ironed themselves out. Absalom died. David's coming back into the kingdom. And here's what it says. Mephibosheth, the son of Saul, came down to meet the king and had neither dressed his feet nor trimmed his beard nor washed his clothes from the day the king departed until the day he came again in peace. And it came to pass when he was come to Jerusalem to meet the king, the king said unto him, Wherefore wentest thou not with uh, thou with me, Mephibosheth? Hey, why don't you come with me? I thought you loved me. Why don't you come with me? And Mephibosheth answered, My lord, O king, my servant deceived me. For thy servant said, I will saddle me an ass that I may ride thereon and go to the king. He said, I, I had it in my mind that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to saddle up and I'm going to move after you because thy servant is lame. And he hath slandered thy servant. Ziba slandered me unto, unto you, King David. But my Lord, the king is as an angel of God. That phrase, as an angel of God, um, it, it could simply mean a messenger of God. You're just, you're, you're somebody, you're, you're like a picture of God to me. I'm not, not that Mephibosheth worshiped him, but man, you're a messenger of God in my life. He says, do therefore what is good in thine eyes, for all of my father's house were but dead men before my Lord the king. Yet didst thou set thy servant among them that did eat at thine own table. What right therefore have I yet to cry any more unto the king? And the king said unto him, why speakest thou any more of thy matters? I have said thou and Ziba divide the land. And Mephibosheth said unto the king, yea, let him take all for as much as my Lord the king is come again in peace unto his house. You know what I think we see in 2 Samuel 19 is I think we see the love that Mephibosheth had toward David. David, Mephibosheth understood, I don't deserve this. And since I don't deserve it, I just want to love him back. Can I say tonight that, you know what God wants in return for salvation that, you give to, that, that he gives to you so freely? I said it this morning that if we're not careful, we can move from a faith-based salvation to a performance-based Christianity. And if we're not careful, we can get saved by faith, but then, then we just try to perform for God because if I do better, maybe he'll love me more. No, listen, do you, you wanna know what God wants in return for you and I to give to him for, for his love for us? He just wants us to love him back. That's it. Here's how Jesus said it, Mark 12, 30 and 31. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. The second is like it. Namely, this shalt thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. Hey, you want to boil all of it down? Love God and love people. How, how can I return? God, you've done so much for me. I was Mephibosheth, and, and you as king invited me to your table. God, what can I do? Oh, I'm going to do a bunch of things. And God says, no. No, my love, all I want is love in return. Just love me back. God's love for us deserves love in return. Notice fourthly tonight, God's love for us offers us a new relationship. 
God's love for us offers us a new relationship. Mephibosheth, he was invited to sit at the king's table. But again, this wasn't an invitation to be the servant. This wasn't an invitation to just eat a meal every now and then. No, verse number 11, this was an invitation to be as one of the king's sons. This was equivalent to almost being adopted into the family. Mephibosheth's a grown man at this time, and yet David's saying, hey, I'm going to bring you in just like one of my own kids. You, you have a new relationship. I offer you, Mephibosheth, a new relationship solely because of who Jonathan is. And when you and I trust Christ as Savior, we're offered a new relationship. I read it this morning, but I stopped at verse 15. I want you to notice Romans 8, 15 through 17. For ye, those who have trusted Christ... You've not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father, my dear Father. Now the spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him that we may be also glorified together. That phrase, heirs, Man, I'm brought into the family. I'm just like a child. I love when it says in verse 15 that we've received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father, my dear Father. Hey, listen, don't ever get over the fact that when you became a Christian, when you trusted Christ as your Savior, you got a relationship with God in heaven that he says, I am your heavenly Father. I am your heavenly Father. You can call out to me. Now, I'm, I don't shy away from this, and I know many of you know it, but of course my parents are here, and you pray for my dad's health, but man, my dad and I have always had a great relationship. I, lo- I love being the, the son of, I'm going to say, his, can I say your middle name? I love being the son of Dennis Elmer Fountain. I love it. I loved it my whole life. I've looked up to my dad. I'll start crying if I talk about it right now. My dad's my dad's my hero. My father-in-law is here tonight, Greg Perkins. And uh, Dad Fountain and Dad Perkins are, are two of my heroes. I look up to both of them so much. But as much as I look up to them, you know what? I'm a child of the king. You're a child of Jehovah God. Man, the creator of the universe. The one who said, the one who said the very words that spoke light into existence. That's your father, if you know Christ. And it brings us a new relationship. God's love gives us a new relationship. John wrote it this way in 1 John 3, 1. Behold, stop, pay attention. Hey, hey, catch this. Behold what manner of love the father hath bestowed or given to us that we should be called the sons of God. Man, John's like, it's, I'm speechless. Stop and think about it. What type of love is this that the creator of the universe would say to you and say to me, I want you to be my child, to be heirs, join heirs with Christ. Hey, God's love for us, it offers us a new relationship. God's love for us, it deserves love in return. It's based solely upon us. His love pursues after us or searches for us. But lastly tonight, God's love for us offers us a new inheritance. It offers us a new inheritance. Verse number nine of 2 Samuel chapter number nine, it says, then the king called the Ziba, Saul's servant, and said unto him, 
I have given unto thy master's son all that pertain to Saul and to his house. You know, David did. He offered Mephibosheth all of the inheritance that Saul had lost. I'll say it again. David offered to Mephibosheth everything that Saul had lost. It was an inheritance that Mephibosheth did not earn, did not deserve, but he inherited everything that Saul had lost. Can I say tonight that when you trusted Christ as Savior, God gave you an inheritance, everything that Adam lost. And Adam, in his pride, Right? The Bible says that by one man sin entered in the world, and so death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. And Adam, listen, he lost that perfect relationship with God. Adam lost the inheritance of the garden. He lost the inheritance of the splendidness of living in a creation that God had, had created him for. And yet when you and I receive Christ, we're brought back into that perfect relationship to an incredible inheritance. Peter wrote it this way in 1 Peter 3, 3 and 4. He said, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He's brought us forth to an inheritance incorruptible. And undefiled, that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. Jesus said it this way, and uh, on his way to the cross, literally the night before he would die, he said to the disciples, let not your heart be troubled. Hey, you believe in God, believe also in me, because in my Father's house there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, and I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. Listen, because of Jesus Christ, we have a restored relationship and a brand new inheritance waiting for us. Hey, I don't know about you, but heaven looks sweeter every day. We were at lunch today, and the family took me out for Father's Day, got to have sushi again, amen, and uh, we, got to, we were sitting there eating, and, and for some reason, I don't know why it comes up every now and then, but every now and then, death comes up while we're sitting and talking. With the kids, I'll just talk, talk about you know, somebody dying or something like that, and, and today, they're talking about, <clears throat> about when, when we all die, and it wasn't a, a morbid conversation or anything like that, they were just like... I think it was Micah was just like, man, what do you think heaven's going to be like? And they, the kids begin to discuss it, you know, and are we going to have superpowers in heaven? Are we going to have to have help in heaven? Are we going to sleep in heaven? You know, we're just standing there just talking or sitting there just talking about heaven. And little Micah said, he said, you know, I don't want to die right now. He said, I, I want to, you know, I want to live my life and there's still things I want to do. And, and we talked to them about having purpose in life and all that. And, and then Micah said, but if we die, man, we just get to go to heaven. We just, we get to go to, to heaven. You know what? Sometimes as Christians, you know what we need to remember? Man, heaven's right around the corner. It doesn't mean that I want to die today. No, man, we still got purpose. We have things to accomplish. 
but it means that I don't have to fear death. Why? Because I have a relationship with God and I've got a new inheritance waiting for me. But you know why? All because of Jonathan. <laughs> Say, Jonathan, all because of Jesus. All because of Christ. Mephibosheth, he got a place at the table. Not because of who he was, but because of who Jonathan was. He was given new life, new inheritance, a new family, a new purpose. And if you've received Christ as your Savior, then because of Jesus, we have a place at the table. We have a place at the table. Man, you're, you're a child of God now. If you've received Christ, you, you have Abba, Father. If you've received Christ, then you know, man, he's pursuing you. He was pursuing you and he keeps pursuing others. If you've received Christ, then you know that there's a brand new relationship. There's a brand new inheritance. There's forgiveness abounding. Man, everything that God offers, all of his kindness, all of his grace was wrapped up in the gift of Jesus. And, and when you said yes to Jesus, you received and I received literally all of that. And so tonight, I want to encourage you with a thought. As I wrap everything up, I want to encourage you with a thought. Everything that we receive from the Lord was not given to us so that we would perform for him. Everything that God gave to us was not given to us so that we could think that we're something. No, all, all of the gift wrapped up in Jesus was given to us and all that's expected in return is that, that second thought or third thought that we would just love him back. This week, I want to encourage you with this thought. Don't go through the week. Don't go through the week trying to earn the love of the king. It's already there. He already loves you. Go through the week asking God, God, how can I love you back today? God, how can I show my love today? And this week, God might, have, God might say, show, show your love to me by speaking to somebody about me. This week, God might say, hey, show your love to me by spending time with me. Hey, show your love to me by reading the word or, or praying. Hey, show your love to me by showing love to other people and maybe forgiving somebody. Show your love to me by being that dad or that mom or that son or that daughter that, that you would want others to be in your life and that, uh, showing the forgiveness that God has forgiven you. Hey, show grace just like I've showed you grace. And tonight, as I look at the story of Mephibosheth, I'll be honest, I was, I was just, yesterday as I was going through some thoughts even on this, I sat there at the computer and I knew where I was preaching and I was just like, man, this is such a simple text to point to Jesus. Like, it's just, it's simple. You know what? Sometimes we complicate the Christian life and we muddy the waters when really we just need to maybe come back to even 2 Samuel chapter number 9 and realize we didn't deserve his love, we didn't earn his love, and yet he still offered it to us. And so what can I do in return? Just love him back. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope it's been an encouragement to you. And if you'd like any further information about our church, We'd like to encourage you to visit mlbc.church.